J.R. Manga presents Midnight City, narrated by DB82. Chapter 5, From Dusk Till Dawn, Part 2 The hive structure of Charlie's holding cell appeared like a vast industrial space, full of metal bridges, walkways, and stairwells on either side. It looked bottomless, and the hive itself spanned for miles in every direction against the back wall. Charlie could see a bridged control room and the ceiling only a few feet above him which meant he and the mad scientist were in the highest part of this underground domain. Erwin's eyes and countenance positively beamed with interest and fascination. The man's excitement was something deeper than anything materialistic. It was as though he discovered the cure for a life-threatening disease, and the cure was in the form of a living, breathing person. Come now, my sweet. Don't be shy. Speak those words of beauty that fill my ears with external ecstasy. I already asked you a question, said the captive with annoyance in his tone. <laughs> that you did. He paused, taking a step closer, his finger and thumb on his chin. Demons do not hold an interest in humans, well apart from possessing or eating us. <laughs> he chuckled to himself, leaving behind a smirk on his chiseled face. I seem to be attuned to their sinister nature, so I do apologize, my dear boy. Where do I begin? Erwin began pacing up and down. I guess it started just over 21 years ago. Charlie frowned, but Erwin did not notice as he was in thought. A demon entered our world in our previous, less secure facility. It possessed my wife, but it latched itself onto her soul so strongly that no exorcism could dispel the entity. But through vigorous research, we know that there is a way to cure the possessed, even the leeching ones that refuse to leave the host. How? How, he asks, ha <laughs> ha. A simple word from anyone else would not hold such weight in my heart. Maybe your interests are sinister. Maybe you have suppressed your killer instincts, which would imply that you are the one that I have been searching for. But the how? Well, to put it simply, I need the blood of a special demon. One that holds more power than the one that holds my wife. And I have found one. Although we cannot get near the damn thing, it is too strong. So we must find another, place them together, and hope they kill each other. Only with their blood can I eradicate the creature that binds my wife. But it is your turn to answer my questions. What dominion are you from? What is your base power? Which hierarchy do you serve? My power is not from hell, Erwin. The scientist no longer smiled. His forehead wrinkled with a knitted brow. 
You clearly have power, my boy. Just look at you. Do you not know what you are? I know exactly what I am. Well, my boy, please elaborate. The stage is yours. Erwin performed a slight bow, thoroughly enjoying this interaction. Charlie played along and got up, taking one step closer to the front of his holdings, placing his open palms on the glass. I am a James. Erwin's eyes widened with the same horror that was seen in every victim of the fake club above. Charlie knew exactly who this man was. In fact, he was the cause of everything. Him and his own father. The chances of the same man being Eric's father was another connection that made it apparent that fate itself held its own motive. However, that is who I am, Erwin. What I am is a different story altogether. For I am three things. A human, a fiend, and a spectra. The mad scientist lost his look of happiness completely. He backed away, hitting the railings behind him. He lost all sense of where he was, which prompted him to look down into the bottomless black. A fiend is a demon, boy, stuttered Irwin. There are worse things in the universe, Charlie added, looking the scientist dead in the eyes, emphasizing his words tactfully. This was your plan all along, to be captured? Catch on quick. But now you are trapped, so it was all for nothing, boy. Was it? I thought we could make a deal. A deal? Would I have him trapped? Or is it I who is trapped here? Erwin took a moment to consider the proposition, exhibiting his intellect. Even when exhilarated, he will make an informed decision, never rushing. Even under pressure, he will carefully review all possibilities that align with his own self-interest. This was not too different than the training Charlie had undergone when becoming a Spectra. Yet it came naturally to this man. Eric was right. He's extremely dangerous, Charlie reflected. Make your request, and I shall make mine. I'm only here for Latoya, but she went by a different name, Ivy Jones. You tell me what happened to her, and I'll give you my weapon, and I will willingly help your wife any way I can. You have my word. You will help my wife willingly if I tell you the fate of one of the subjects. Hardly a fair exchange, my boy. You must want more. I'd do this for her daughter, Erwin. And I'd do this for your son. That exchange is worthy enough. The words hit the scientist clean in the chest. He was not prepared for such a confrontation today. It was like his past deeds had come back to haunt him. But he also held the strong belief that the fates rewarded him for his hard work. Never giving up on his wife never letting the sacrifice of this city's inhabitants be in vain. It was all for this moment. Erwin clapped, shedding a genuine tear of happiness. What a remarkable boy. A boy that was sent from the heavens. A boy that was sent to restore my family. Through him, my son would see the reason for my actions and come back to me. Even though this was not his native custom, Erwin gave a low, honoring bow of agreement. You have a deal he said, grinning. I will transport you to my lab and I will search for the girl's holdings. I shall see you shortly. Erwin turned and walked away with a stride of giddiness. Charlie sat back down and crossed his legs again, smiling subtly. All is going to plan. Erwin whistled and Charlie's cell shifted backwards, stopping before hitting the back wall. 
then moved up into a square shaft, just wide enough for him to get through, before disappearing into the dark hole. Every demon with featured limbs watched him venturing upwards as Charlie's cell went behind the hive itself. There would only be one other time he could truly appreciate its magnificent size. Initially, he thought hundreds were trapped, but before he traveled through the intersecting transport vents, he'd seen that thousands of externals were imprisoned. Lab 1 was an exceedingly large room of computer terminals, restricted areas, and items that merged science and religion. Holy Bibles next to scalpels on top of chrome block counters. Incantations and wooden flasks next to bone saws laced in blood. Even the scientists that strode up and down with notepads had strange markings on their jackets. Markings that seemed unusually similar to the ones engraved on the glass of Charlie's container. The wide computer console with the window above it looked more like a cinema screen overlooking the whole hive holding cells from where Charlie came. In the far end, a door read restricted, with two exits on each end of the lab. The whole room held an uncomfortable dimness, like being inside an operating theater with the most difficult surgery being performed many times over, as each surgical tool looked to be used recently. Their aftermath dripped tirelessly on the smooth, bleach-smelling concrete. There was another holding cell closer to the operating tables, but that container was empty. Only the dismembered parts of a white, feathered external remained. Irwin ordered everyone to leave, as another staff member handed him a hot drink. He drank its contents and looked up at Charlie, holding his brown eyes on the dragon that no longer moved. Another transparent container with black handles and framing lowered over Charlie's cell. The front glass of his holdings swiped up with a minor screech. Irwin placed his cup down near the table closest to him. He went back to Charlie, regarding the agent. He motioned his head to Charlie's sword. If you'd be so kind, my boy. Charlie rose to his feet, placing the flat blade on the glass floor between his cell and the framed cover. He walked back to his cell, but Irwin could have sworn he heard the boy talking to his weapon. He shook his head at the silly thought. The glass slid back down, trapping the young man once more. There was a large envelope slot at the bottom of the framed cover, big enough for food to enter, which Charlie concluded was the purpose. Treating the demons to a human body part if they cooperated. A reliable method of extracting such knowledge from the externals. So that's how he knows so much. This guy knew how to cure his wife, but hasn't been able to achieve it. If he only knew what I knew. Irwin knelt, putting his hand in the open slot, adjusting the sword at an angle so that it would fit through. Charlie had never given an order to his sword before. Would it listen now? He wondered anxiously as Irwin held it with a scientific scrutiny. Interesting how something so flat is so heavy. Irwin had to hold the sword with both hands, and even that appeared to be a struggle for him, as he clutched the scabbard awkwardly. This is no ordinary sword. What was that? 
I hear something. Erwin pressed his ear to the black blade. I wouldn't do that if I were you, said Charlie, smirking. Put it down over there and stand at least six paces away from it. Erwin clumsily fiddled with the sword as though it came from a hot oven and ran to the other end of the room, placing it on the counter next to the other blood-coated items. It's true. You see, Graves are freakishly clever. Most would have questioned me, and by that time it would have been too late for him. Erwin stepped away quickly, marching himself back to Charlie. It is not my looks that have gotten me this far in life, boy. It would have been foolish for me not to heed the warnings of one with a demonic eye and body. But how unsettling. I heard someone speaking within it. Is that a genuine possessed item? It is. Fascinating. So that is what makes you Spectra so special. I have admired your agency from afar, although I did not know of your existence until recently. By then, your organization became mysterious once more. Oh, how alike we all are. Operating in secret, living in the shadows. And for what? Preventing panic? Or is it because we understand this kind of power far exceeds a nuclear weapon? We protect people. You slaughter them. There's a difference, Erwin. I guess you would see it like that. I cannot blame you for your train of thought. I just believe my methods of protection are far more practical. Our research into the demon race has produced wondrous results. Do you know they have a command system? Like an army. We perceive them as mindless savages, but they have a purpose with everything they do. They do not act without the consent of their masters. I always thought the term demon general was a name given to identify the more powerful ones. Guess not. So, you and your team of mad scientists want to control this army? You clearly haven't seen the Jurassic Park movie. Oh, I do not wish to control them. I only wish for the knowledge so we can prepare for Lucifer's invasion. So when he eventually breaks free, we will have a better chance of survival. But other matters have, Erwin looked down, been more of a priority to me as of late. You work with the wilds to trap innocent people. Your original goal has been tainted, and that is why it will never work for you. You jest, boy. And what of the Spectras? What have they done to you to attain such demonic power? I'm sure sacrifices were also made for you to be how you are now. You and my father are the cause for how I am now, Erwin. Spectres are unique in how they are made. But understand, it takes a strong spirit to control our possessed items. We ain't perfect, but we will never put innocent lives in danger. Each of us chose to be a Spectra. We chose to be this world's protectors. So never justify your madness to me, because I don't want to hear it. And never assume we would stoop so low. Your way of thinking is something you tell yourself so you can sleep at night. Something that makes you get up in the morning. Something that stops your mind from losing it. But a man who was half your years is telling you, You are wrong. Charlie's cheeks reddened with fury. Irwin just stared out with a blank gaze. An unshakable purpose that preserved his will had just been jolted. Was this boy right? Even Eric said as much to him, even though they never discovered a way of summoning demons without the box then. This was a far messier way, one he did not enjoy, but needs must in order to save his beloved and defend mankind from the inevitable destruction that is en route. Have you heard this saying before? The enemy of my enemy is my friend? I shall take that as a yes, 
Well, here is a new one that is less poetic. The wilds are a necessary evil so I can get the knowledge that I need to help a mutually beneficial entity. These people are the true protectors of the world, and before I knew of the Spectres, they were our only line of defense. I know the wilds will succeed in freeing Lucifer, and if not the wilds, it will be someone else, but understand, a few sacrifices of people that are full of sin, people that do not deserve to live, will not affect my sleep, boy. Because my resolve is strong, I do this for the innocent, the actual innocent, and I do this for my wife. Your father knew what was at stake, and we worked alongside each other with the same goal. But after you were born, he changed and had gotten soft. I do not begrudge him for this. Having children can either strengthen or weaken one's purpose, said Erwin, now concentrating on Charlie's frozen eyes, like a new realization came to mind. I find it curious that his resolve in helping my wife and preparing the world for a demonic invasion suddenly stopped when you were born. The certain things you say, don't tell me. Before I was born, you summoned something and it wasn't a demon, Erwin. Not even close. That is what made me. This dragon is a curse that will eventually consume my soul, and I will become like my true father. Before he died, Lambert spent his entire life trying to find a cure for me, searching for the thing you both brought into our realm. But he's dead now, and things are coming to an end. Erwin's perspiration trailed all the way down to his palms. That disastrous incident that almost shut us down. The lives that were lost that day. Their deaths still plague my dreams. And my waking moments at times. I thought a demon came through and escaped. So, something other than a demon entered the portal. What on earth does this mean? And how in heaven's name does that have anything to do with this boy? Become like his true father. Is he referring to a divine being? Lambert's fiancé was there. Did something happen to her which produced this strange child of dark power? He said more than once that he is not a demon. Then what is he? What other evil force have we brought down upon ourselves? But he holds and controls a possessed item. Something I've never seen done. Our own items must be locked up and sealed with charms, spells, and the rest due to them latching on and possessing the holder. But these specters are lucky enough to get them in the form of a weapon, and they can wield them without a care in the world? Curious indeed. It was after said incident that Lambert started acting strangely and ceased his aid in finding a cure for my wife. I was so angry. But clearly his son was the reason. Oh, Lambert, how you must have suffered like me. I am sorry, my old friend. May I ask, if it's not a demon inside of you, then what is it? Question time is over. Now, find out what's happened to the girl I mentioned earlier. Erwin's head sprang up, feeling quite shocked by Charlie's directness, and feeling equally disappointed that he did not understand what he was trying to do by performing these experiments. But he understood that children will never get it. They could never see the bigger picture. No, that was a prized possession for the worthy their unwanted gift and their well-presented curse. His colleagues knew what had to be done. If not for their hard work, dedication, and sacrifice, they would have never gotten this far in their knowledge of the entity. A few die so billions may live, a fair trade, Erwin thought, as he turned away from the young captive and walked over to the console. 
but for some unnatural reason, he felt nervous in discovering the fate of the girl this young man had sought. Suddenly, the shadow of regret was growing ever so steadily inside the scientist. How a boy would place his own life at risk for one of these sinners? The idea was preposterous, and yet here he was, a human boy touched by a demonic illness and eyes that still held the hope of a fretful child. The same hope Eric held for him when his mother was possessed. I'm a failure, and now more children are hurt by my actions. What have I done? Is this what Lambert meant? Irwin stood at the curved computer terminal that overlooked the prison hive. The terminal blinked many different colors with only the glowing screens interrupting the lights. Irwin typed in the name and more of his glistening sweat led to his brow. He turned to Charlie with eyes that just discovered a horror so unsettling that words could not leave his mouth. How could he forget that name? Well, it was easy enough, as it went by a different title. The moisture in his throat evaporated, and his captive could clearly see his hands were shaking. What have you done to her, Erwin? You tell me right now! Screamed Charlie, no longer able to control his emotions. The color in Irwin's cheeks had drained. His composure from earlier was nowhere to be seen. His theatrical persona was now dead and gone. Although, in reality, his whole charisma was dying from the moment Charlie spoke his truth. Irwin frowned, but not from uncertainty. His doleful expression even made the young man react, as he now stood staring at the scientist with the killer's glare. The mad scientist shot to where Charlie's sword was, he picked it up quickly and raced over to the young agent, placing the blade back into the slot. Irwin then removed a small gray item from his coat pocket. It looked like a small memory stick, which he also handed over. What the hell are you- Quiet, boy, and hear me. You will need your weapon, and the stick is my penance. Irwin walked back over to the console, staring out to the hive. How many do you think had children? Or wanted children someday. Charlie narrowed his eyes, bewildered by the bipolar actions of the scientist. Irwin began inputting a sequence that made the two opposing doors shut and lock. Both were entrances to the lab. Then the alarm was raised, like a fire had broken out somewhere in the facility. Charlie could hear the Indian scientist shout and bang on the door near his cell. Hatch sequence initiated, announced a female voice that was everywhere and nowhere. Most demons were kept in the hive holdings, but the more dangerous ones were kept in Lab 10, which was the case with Ivy. Please excuse me, I mean Latoya. But she broke free, killing and devouring all that were down there. Irwin was not looking at Charlie. He was tapping away at the console with the speed of someone that just injected caffeine into their veins. These demons mix the rankings of an army with the titles of a royal bloodline. Then there's the others, the ferocious beings that not even Lucifer himself can control. All this is explained in the memory stick I gave you. Charlie held it in his palm and placed the gray item in his back pocket, listening closely to what Irwin was saying. This whole facility is new and was repurposed because of the demon that resides in Latoya. Her influence is so strong that scientists were changing. My wife still had her faculties. She was not some mindless beast. She has provided me with so much information over the years, or should I say, the demon inside her has. 
that I have managed to aid the Holy Knights in their quest to rid this world of externals. The demon inside my wife proudly declared its ranking as a general. No higher rank can enter our dimension, it said, as their power is too great, and the balance of power would shift in such a way that an army of angels would descend upon the earth, wiping them out once more. But Lucifer cannot allow this to happen, not yet. Not until he finds the child of prophecy and the woman of Catholic faith to be his bride. Although the conversations were demonic in nature, I miss my wife's voice. Sometimes she would break through, showing me a glimpse of her kind soul, telling me about our son, even what he was doing. Then Latoya happened, and my wife spoke but two words when the powerful demon entered our plane. The two words I never understood at the time until it was too late. Scientists were committing suicide, murdering their families, acting on impulses that were a much worse evil in comparison to what we have been doing. Holy water had to be sprayed constantly onto the creature. The incantations were wearing off and we could not hold it, so we dug as deep as we could, worked day and night to create its holdings. Then we stumbled upon an invaluable find and built its cage around it. This find can trap any demon and lock them to one place. Erwin dipped his head inside. My boy, the thing that possessed your Latoya calls itself the Duke. And my wife has not uttered another word since it arrived, nor has any other external. Erwin continued pounding at the console, and all the fireworks of light came to an abrupt halt. A book-shaped panel arose from the center. Handprint authorization needed, said the low, invisible voice of a woman. He placed his right palm flat on the panel, which lit up green around each individual finger and thumb. He lifted his hand and Charlie could see a timer on each screen. The banging and screams from behind the doors came from multiple staff members. My team are quite resourceful. They will find a way in, and they will find a way to shut the console down without my authorization. I must time this correctly, so you will have enough time to defeat your friend and get clear of the blast radius. But in truth, your chances of success are not very high, as your Latoya is possessed by an entity that rules one of the nine circles of hell. Charlie closed his eyes and shook his head. Nothing had gone to plan. He wanted Ripper to have his way with him. He wanted to break out and kill everyone in sight. But his wants were overshadowed by his curiosity and need to understand a man's intentions. A need to understand why his own father would work with such a man in the first place. He only told him the worst of Irwin's ways, and Charlie doubted it would have been that simple. Though at the time this contemplation was never considered, maybe he wanted to bring Eric closure to it all, one that could edge his heart towards forgiveness and understanding. Charlie now knew the absolute truth of this man. He now got the answers he himself wanted to know, which in the end did not bring him any peace. The world was endangered to a greater degree because of this person's ignorance, because of his own twisted sense of morality and ideals but worse yet, because of the overabundance of love he carried for his wife. This was the love no one spoke of, a love that isn't in any book or shown in any movie. It's a love so strong that a man would happily destroy others to keep it. It was a selfish love, one that Charlie could not abide by. Irwin's only atonement for such a thing was death. There was hope in the world if a man like this could see the error of his ways. 
though the strangeness of it all was also apparent to Charlie. Getting the memory stick full of research data that could save more lives than the ones these scientists have ruined. The irony only made the young agent even more frustrated. No, this was his penance, like he said. Believing that these people's deaths were meant for some greater purpose would drive Charlie into an agonizing despair so intense that he would not be able to go on. But despair was still forming an impervious cage around his heart as he thought of what Latoya had gone through. What she had undergone was worse than dying. Her bright soul, trapped and then tortured. Lilith had spoken of such beings in hell. These dukes of the nine, these rulers of the circles. Could he even defeat such a foe without becoming lost himself? This thought would not leave his mind until he was standing before the great Lady Fierna, Princess of the Ninth. If you do defeat her, return to your cell, and it shall transport you to the platform. A train will be waiting for you there. Irwin was facing Charlie as he delivered this information. You have 15 minutes to defeat her and get clear. Holy water will be released, with incantations playing throughout the facility to exorcise the demons. This, however, will not work on Latoya for long, you understand. Charlie nodded. I believe in you, my boy. You have a gift that can heal a wounded heart. Please tell Eric I'm sorry for all that I have done, and that my love for him was unconditional. Charlie bowed his head in a way that said he would honor the last wish of a dying man. Erwin smiled. Thank you, he said, raising his voice over the increasingly loud alarm. He then walked to the end of the console that was closer to Charlie, hitting a green button that appeared to be more manual than the others, like an emergency switch. The agent's cell made a slight shake, readying itself to move. Descending to level 10 and his cell dropped like a fast elevator. Irwin's eyes were a shimmer of tears as he watched the externals in the hive move in ways that only mirrored pain. The experienced voice of an elderly man was booming from well-placed speakers around the facility, speaking in Latin, speaking close, like he was right beside the bed of the possessed. Irwin turned and hit a familiar button behind him without even looking. It opened the door into the restricted room that held his wife. The human mind could never comprehend the sounds coming from that room. He watched the monitor on the wall in the corner of the door. Security and staff were using electronic equipment to bypass the lockdown. They will get in before the boy completes his mission. Irwin shut his eyes and breathed slow enough that the motion of time was completely altered. Shock had hit the lead scientist. Both doors slid open, and everyone came rushing in. But the lab was too big to get to the console in time. Dr. Mumbai was the only one to not rush at the console or his mentor, because from the moment he entered with the other staff, Irwin looked directly at him, forming voiceless words with tears streaming down his cheeks. I'm sorry. Dr. Mumbai saw Irwin's hand press another button on the fingerprinted panel a button that should only ever be pressed if they acquired control of the monster inside, which he knew he hadn't. Everyone out now! Screamed the doctor. All stopped, all regarded Dr. Mumbai, but turned hearing the grotesque noises coming from the restricted area they had never seen open. A huge otherworldly ship was moving oddly, 
like each word spoken from the speakers was causing it to suffer. But the suffering it displayed seemed to be more of an annoyance, as the shadowed monstrosity in the restricted doorway was swatting invisible flies with a low, insidious voice that sounded like it came from two different sexes. It stopped when it saw all the people in the lab gasp in dread. None had time to react. As the demon rushed at them all, leaving the whole area littered with half-eaten corpses and smooth blood that was still warm to the touch. It had taken its time with even Irwin though, as it hunched over his shredded body, tearing and chewing through his clothing, swallowing and gulping almost every part of the man. It belted a laughing roar, then left, free to roam the facility and escape to the surface. But its first wish was to devour more humans. Charlie had a small holder on the back of his belt to secure his sword and gun if needed. He secured his weapon in the holder from the moment Irwin returned it. He knows that he will need to maneuver without the restraint of holding his scabbard. The chants that were bellowing from the speakers were the most powerful he had ever heard. He was slightly concerned that it would affect his demonic weapon, but he instantly remembered that once a demon possessed an item, they could never leave it. It could never be destroyed, only contained. His cell passed through the darkness into the bowels of this hellish abode. Suddenly, his surroundings had changed, and he could see each floor and corridor on his decline. Scientists, engineers, security staff, even the cooks all scrambling to find an exit as both entrances were locked. Charlie couldn't hear their cries, but he could see their desperation and he could see a hulking abomination roaming the hallways, leaving a trail of slaughter. Karma is strong in this city, he thought. The structure around him soon converted into concrete with red metal framing protruding from the walls. It was like passing through an old elevator shaft built for mining expeditions or an ancient archaeological dig site. Even in the shaft, there were highlighted symbols that glowed a dim gold in the shadows of the walls. He arrived, with the front of his glass cell sliding up. Purge sequence initiated. Please exit to the nearest platform. Purge sequence initiated. You have 12 minutes to get to the nearest platform. Charlie glared at the underground shaft that was structurally held together by the bulky metal he'd seen on the way down. He made a beeline for his destination, with the sandy brown rocks all around him and the smell of wet earth filling his nose. More symbols were painted on stone in the endless darkness. Wires for the mining lights and speakers were hooked up to a generator near his cell. The Latin chant was even heard all the way down here. In fact, Charlie thought it was getting louder the more he ran. The passage and the place itself 
was so vast he could not see its ceiling, like the red framing was swallowed up by the pitching black, echoing the old man's haunting words off the jutting chasm, a demonic cave of wonders. Now everything made sense. The whole facility was purpose-built in this location. The symbols written down here were the same, yet different. They were older and were not painted at all. These were engraved into the stone with a calligraphy from beings that possessed an unnatural movement. These symbols could only be copied by an advanced printer of some kind. Stranger still, they radiated a brighter glow of gold when Charlie ran by them. That, however, was not the only strange thing to Charlie. There was no way of translating such things into speech, but he felt as though his brain was trying to come up with the best words used to describe them. And then the words and the compounding feeling was forming. The feeling of triumph when creating this place. No, not just this place. Everything. But within that feeling of prevailing victory was a predatory dominance something these scientists have used to seal the externals, including the one that possessed Latoya. These hieroglyphical symbols are so strong they can contain a Duke of Hell? Then Charlie realized the origins of these symbols and the irony, the coincidence, the fate of it all came crashing into his mind, weakening his morale. He thought of the usual line about fate. What a load of horse shit! Does this mean Latoy was meant to be possessed? Was he meant to kill her? Or was he meant to die by her hands? Maybe they will both die, ridding the world of even more freaks. Fuck, don't think, Charlie. You got a job to do, and you're here to bring peace to a mother and her child. Repeating this thought calmed his mind as he stood in front of a tall bunker door made of dull chrome, thicker and more ominous than the one at the entrance of the fake club. He looked down and realized the ground was no longer dirt-filled, but damp, with wet blood trailing around his boots. When he lifted his head, he saw the door had already been opened, as it stood ajar with red splattered fingerprints on its outer frame. Whoever the blood belonged to was definitely dragged inside. Ah, shit! Charlie walked in with his right hand behind his back, clasping the flat hilt of his sword. He stepped into a small puddle of blood that left a long and wide path leading to a darkened figure that stood looking directly at him. Cuts of clothing were laid out everywhere, from navy blue overalls to yellow mining helmets. He could see a head within one of the helmets, its nose bloody and broken, with eyes that were completely missing. The figure blended well with the spiked rocks, making it impossible for the human eye to see before it was too late. He noticed this place was a reinforced cave enclosure. There was a rotten odor that suddenly attacked his nose, shocking him as he knew it came from the large shape and not the entrails he saw scattered about. The shadowed figure took a step back. The thing was almost invisible but the sound of burst air and spreading earth soon followed. He could hear slow flapping wings with the gust of wind circling the blackness above. I will rip your soul out, Charlie James, echoed a nefarious female voice of queen importance from an aloft position. Your smells, 
different, sweeter, yet sour. Something moved behind him, which made no sense with how slow its wings flapped and where the voice came from. In a prompt and predatory response, he lowered his stance, making his back more horizontal. He took out his sword with the hilt facing forward and the blade behind him. Are you a holy knight? She asked with a note that bounced off every surface. No, I do not sense a relic item on you. He could hear her taking a deep sniff of euphoric pleasure. She flew high, masking in the obscurity, but she would fly down to catch a whiff. Then he heard her glide even lower, but winced, giving an ear-popping screech. You are one of them! She roared as she pulled up like a commercial airliner and banked left into the mist of blackness. Her wings no longer flapping with gracious control, but becoming erratic, angry. His fiendish eye could always see her. Nothing was hidden from him. But now he got a good look at the royal demon in its full form. Athletically slender, and her length was that of a double-decker bus. She held four symmetrical bat wings on her spine, which were a smooth milk chocolate color. This shade was on her face, midsection, and the inside part of her arms. Apart from her Ashanti long hair, everything else was covered in thick indigo feathers like an owl. She wore an extremely short mattered skirt that was once a full-length dress that he'd seen Latoya wear in one of her Facebook pictures. Her mouth was drenched in blood, her teeth like the misshapen rocks of the cave. But worse yet, the beast still held the eyes of Latoya. Parts of her face had smudged makeup on. Her beige eyes lowered to a sadness that conflicted with the demented grin she was giving. Her lashes were still full and dark, but seemed to have an added demonic palette to them. This entity was a violation of the natural world. None like it should ever walk among us, for if it did, its presence would change the very foundation of humankind itself. The green reptilian iris in Charlie's black pupil emitted a phosphorescent gleam. He focused on her flight pattern, the way she moved and jetted around the pointed coves up above. Gotcha! The royal made a dive at the agent. He could hear the air boosting behind her as she swooped in like a murderous falcon. Ebony-clawed hands swung to take his head, but his blade clanged against them, sending out small glittering sparks. She screamed in frustration, then used her other hand for a second attempt at his throat. But he flew up and over, landing on her towering back, thrusting his blade into her neck. She shrieked, then took off launching her mountainous body. He realized immediately that she would use her own G-force to make him fall and catch him in midair. So he threw his feet up and pushed away from her spine, splitting the back of her head. He flipped and landed on an uneven surface. The royal crashed headfirst into the ground, flapping her wings like a natural defense. Five minutes until purge. Please make your way to the platform. The Duke of Hell lifted herself and stood as though no wound had been inflicted. She looked up, and then she was gone. Charlie could not sense her aura. Her presence had completely vanished. Then the whole area began to shake. Cracks in the walls were forming, and the pointed cones started to fall from the cave sky. Charlie cartwheeled, dodged, backflipped, and spun, 
to avoid the incoming death traps that could have flattened him at any moment. Each one smashed into the dirt, shattering like glass. But as soon as the last one was falling, the Duke appeared behind him, thrusting his great clawed hand downward into his back, which made a clean exit through his torso. Spewing of blood, he impressively rotated the hilt of his sword with ninjutsu elegance and stabbed her. The staggering back thrust of his blade startled her into a pained squeal, and she herself coughed up black bile that steamed on the agent's nape and shoulders. She took her hand away, readying herself to strike again, when something big brought the royal to her knees. At that moment, Charlie stepped away, using his sword as a crutch, holding his wound with his right hand. He turned to face her. Maybe a full-powered duke could take the ripper but one that was wounded would definitely struggle with him. Impotent beast! I am your ruler! Bow before your queen! As she tried to converse with this frenzied creature, it tore away her wings, snatching and pulling them from her feathered skin. You could hear its chomps and satisfied laughter. She yelled. As if a reply to her torment, the whole cave shook with an intensity that even made her look up. <laughs> it's over for you, human. The way is shut, hissed the pained duke. Charlie, on one knee, was already staring in her direction, but he could see behind her, and the entrance from where he came was blocked off by a mounting wall of brown stone. With a new vitality of evil, she grabbed Ripper in some sort of psychic hold, lifting him off the ground with just her eyes. He roared furiously, and she tore apart his arms and legs as payment for her beautiful wings, tossing him aside with an insignificant, hmm, stating that underlings should know their place. Ah, I remember you, ferocious one, she said, leering at the limbless creature half her size. Tales of your exploits were well known. How your very nature defied logic. How even Lucifer had grown so weary of your savagery that he had to banish you from hell itself. How you made it from ether to earth I do not know. But possessing a weapon was exceedingly smart. You ensured that your life would be yours again, as there are rules even in the ether. She walked over and pressed her giant foot down upon the creature's wide chest. A crunch was heard, and a suffering howl soon followed. Can you not speak, Simpleton? Your queen asked you a question. <laughs> she began stomping with continued laughter, baring her demonic fangs. But a hot wind blew in her direction, and a dark but radiating light of green glowed from the location where she had left the human. <laughs> chuckled the grounded beast. She was looking in the direction of the glow, but turned to look down at the creature again. What are you laughing at, underling? It replied, smiling, showing a disfigured snout that made the duke frown. You won't be laughing any longer, you disgusting swine. You will be my new pet. Her eyes gave way to something red, something unholy. Her hand lifted, and then black blood spurt from it. <laughs> Bawled the Duke, as a new stump replaced her wonderful claw. Unable to fly, she stumbled away from the laid creature, swiping her other hand at something that flashed in and out of sight. 
black slits formed around her sharp, lanky fingers, and they fell one by one. She dropped to her knees, and she herself performed a transformation. A black horn had burst through from her forehead. Her legs began shaping to the bone structure of a giant kangaroo, but they appeared harder, as if made from the toughest hide. She focused her demonic power, a power bestowed by the king himself. She is no inferior being. She is the princess of the Ninth Circle, daughter of Gressil, and all shall fear and bow before her might. In that moment of heightened resolve, she stood and jetted at the audacious thing that she understood was never human to begin with. They smashed and clashed in the night cave. Grunts and moans, laughter and taunts, threats and promises, all transpired in this quick, decisive battle that ultimately left the Duke without a head, which was thrown at the Ripper's side along with the body. He wailed with a deep laughter as the bloody clash occurred. This actually affected the Duke during the fight. It made her doubt her own strength. Though it was not Ripper's intention, he just enjoyed the show, the carnage, the brutality of his master that made his own seem like child's play. Was that why he was happy to take orders from him? To work alongside this unusual human? Before he could form any thought on the matter, his master called out to him, Ripper, she's a duke. Have your fill and attain a power that you have never known before. The voice of Charlie had changed immensely. It was husked to an ungodly note. The sound of his sword was heard sliding back into his scabbard. <laughs> Ripper started on the body, but savored the taste, because there were only two things that gave him more pleasure than any other thing in this world. The taste of a woman, and the taste of a human woman. The Duke, however, was at least one of those things, and that would do, for now, as the chances of him acquiring a human woman were very slim, especially with his current owner. But beggars cannot be choosers, he thought, whilst filling his stomach with chunks of flesh from her long thigh. As each swallow was made, the Ripper's wounds would heal at an astounding rate, changing his physical appearance once more. Four bat wings burst from his back as he was eating. Longer arms and legs shot from the inner muscle of his missing appendages. As he moved over to the head, his grin was so wide he could not contain his excitement. A forgotten happiness filled his evil soul as the Duke's form reverted to the face of the person they were trying to save. Charlie gaped at the head as its soft eyes were gazing directly into his reflecting his evil back at him. He took a step, but could not move. The wolf nails on his fingers were becoming rounded again. His spiky teeth were less carnivorous. The emerald scales on his skin softened, molding back into the tattoo that formed around him. Only this time, the dragon was bigger, now covering his other leg and right forearm. His wound was nowhere in sight, he fell to his knees, weeping so hard his eyes burned. Then something knocked against his inner thigh. He wiped away his tears with the only part of his hand that wasn't covered in black, inky blood. When the stinging subsided and the water cleared from his pupils, he saw the head of Latoya before him. But her eyes had been shut. He raised his head, mouth open. His behemoth companion bowed in a sort of apologetic manner 
then vanished from the thin air. He could feel the force of something more powerful hit his sword, as he had to adjust his back slightly due to the new imposed weight of it. Charlie picked up Latoya's head and cradled her, while his woeful tears fell from his eyes once more. The home of his kin will be his grave, but the soul of his friend will be at peace. A repeating thought as he laid in the earth his other father made. He closed his eyes and drifted into his own mind, letting the memory of his life consume him. But in that moment of defeating thought, the air shifted, like it was imploding in on itself. A wind was created out of nothing, and it circulated around that one airbending spot. An indescribable sound ensued, and Charlie could only match it to the sound of a large explosion underwater. What followed was equally indescribable. A woman stepped out of the shifting air between space and time. She was taller than the Duke by another six feet, but shrunk to the size of an average woman. Her skin was a twinkled black, like the whole of space was wrapped around her. She had two engraved horns that started from her forehead, but curved and flowed to the back of her, leaving their sharp points. Her hair was an endless blanket of blue that swam across the ground. Her pupilless eyes only held the color of clouds. Their shape was large and piercing. Lashes were as dark as her pigment, but long and dense. Her body was womanly. Her hips were wide. Her breasts were low from nature. Her legs were thick, powerful, and strong. And she walked as though she knew that all would be okay. She stood over Charlie, moving her white eyes from him to the head. She knelt then laid her hand over Latoya's closed eyes. Where would you like to go, sweet child? Asked the divine woman in a low voice that sounded motherly. I will remain and watch over my daughter if it's okay. Whatever is in my power, I shall grant it, sweet Latoya. Your will was a beacon that only a royal could see, and your love is the warmth that your daughter shall feel forever. Latoya stood next to Charlie dotingly staring down at him, not acknowledging her own remains. That time had passed. Will he be okay? Latoya asked this question, but her words were a faded echo. Yes, I believe it will take a lot more than this to best him. Both women smiled. Latoya leaned down and kissed his forehead. Thank you, she said affectionately. She placed her palm on his cheek, and just before she vanished, his lids were beginning to open. Her name left his lips before he lost consciousness again. He wept as though he was having a nightmare. Lilith began stroking his head. Hush, my love. It is over now. You saved her. So sleep and be at peace, or I shall never leave your side again. Charlie was calmed by these words. Your love is the purest on earth, and I shall treasure it forever. Lilith held Charlie in her arms and grew to her original size of towering beauty. Her eyes didn't look at anything else but him, her face only showcasing her happiness. She turned, walking through the rippling portal she came from. The first human woman and the first human fiend departed from the first cave to have ever been made.
You have been listening to Midnight City by J.R. Manga. Narrated by DB82. Copyright 2023 by J.R. Manga and VHS Reader. All characters and events in this publication, other than those in the public domain, are fictitious and any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. All rights reserved. No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted, in any form or by any means, without the prior permission and writing of the publisher. The publisher is not responsible for websites or social media pages that are not owned by the publisher.